Hello, welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. This is my beautiful wife, Natalie, and I am her husband, Bobby. We are the Mel Brooks and Anne Bancroft of the podcasting world. We wish. <laughs> you can be Mel Brooks. Okay, yeah, I figured I was. <laughs> this week, we have watched... Alien Hunter. From what year, Natalie? 2003. Starring who, Natalie? James Spader. Oh, it's going to be a hot one. <laughs> Natalie. Mm. Tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about. So, Bobby and I are married, uh, we watch a lot of films together, and we've decided to watch the worst DVDs we own according to the ratings these films have received on the website Letterboxd. Uh, some we've seen before, some we haven't. Uh, we've not bought any of the DVDs specifically for this podcast. It's a combination of random stuff included in sexy box sets, charity shop gambles, and films we've bought that other people just don't enjoy. Uh, so we're hoping to find some treasures amongst these low-rated films and we're watching each one with an open mind, hoping for the best. Lovely stuff. Mm-hmm. You've just been watching uh, The Only Man You Love More Than Me, uh-huh. James Spader. For I don't whole... love him more than you. Okay, really? Yeah, of course I love you more. That's nice. But you've been watching him for 90 minutes in his prime, <laughs> peak Spader. Yeah. How, how damp are your knickers right now? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've put on a second pair. <laughs> oh my god! Um, it's fair to say you're a James Spader fan. I'm one of many of the Spadettes, yeah. <laughs> of the Spadettes. In terms of fandom, it's a little bit more than you've got a copy of Pretty in Pink. It's a little bit less than we have a room covered in pictures of James Spader. Yeah, we don't have that. We don't have the uh, feature wall <laughs> yes. photo, blown up photograph of James Spader we've, like in the film Storyville. Yeah, we watched Storyville where he's running for political and in his political offices he's got an entire wall which is just a picture of him ruminating. Yeah. And uh, you'd consider it, wouldn't you? Well, it's, it's a nice picture, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, what do you like about James Spader? I like... You know, obviously, he's not the best actor in the world. He's kind of got a very... You know, it's his personality, I think, that he brings to the films he's in. He's, he's kind of yeah. the same in a lot of stuff. Um, but there's something reassuring about that. Um, because you know in any James Spader film, he is going to pull that weird facial expression he does where he kind of, like, tugs the corners of his mouth down and, and looks really smug, raises his chin a little bit. Mm. Um, and that's nice. And in Alien Hunter, he's playing the hero of the piece. Yeah. You prefer him as hero or villain? Oh, villain. I would yeah. say. But then, I mean, he's never really an out-and-out villain. Oh, he is. In, in Pretty in Pink. No. And the new kids, he's definitely the villain of the film. Oh, the new kids, yeah. But, I mean... And Wolf. <laughs> it's not his fault. He's a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> he got bit. <laughs> he was pretty much a little shit before he got bit by the werewolf, though. Yeah, he, he was ambitious. Mm. He was ambitious, I'll give you that. He's good um, at playing yuppies. Yeah. And rapey high schoolers. Yeah, I mean, you, you were joking when you said that this was Pete Spader because, you know, whilst he is still working and doing great work, um, he is the 1980s. He, you know, his, his, his hair yeah. is very 80s. He, he looks at his best when he's wearing like a billowing shirt with sleeves rolled up to the elbows mm. um, and white trousers. Um, and he, he does kind of like, he looks like a yuppie. Yeah. Yeah. So you're less interested in when he's playing like a robot or uh, an FBI agent in his sort of later career. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, I want him either as like a lawyer mm-hmm. or 
the teenager who will become a lawyer. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not the uh, the deputy manager of a, a department store where there's magical mannequins. Doesn't... No. But you see, that that is an example of where he actually does have great range because um, he completely plays against type in mannequin because he's a kind of nerdy, like, creepy, slimy, like, toadish man. He's playing a shit again. Yeah, but... A weaselly one. Okay. And this is part of... Alien Hunter is part of his, his kind of occasional sojourn into um, sci-fi. Mm. He's in Stargate as well. Yeah. And um, there's another film that's completely slipped my mind. But he generally tends to play a scientist, nerdy scientist called in mm-hmm. to investigate things. Yeah. Um, what are your top five James Spader films? If there's someone out there who's just, you know... Only ever seen him in the Blacklist or him as the voice of Ultron in the Avengers. How do you recommend they get into Sexy Spader? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everyone should. Really should be part of the curriculum. But, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard because he's made so many good films. Mm. But I would say my top five in ascending order would be Bad Influence. At number five. At number five. White Palace. Crash at number three. Pretty in Pink number two. And number one, Secretary. Okay, we only share one there. Is all, it? All of those would be in my top ten. Tough Turf. Well, let me, I'll give you my five. Mm. Number five is Tough Turf. Yeah, oh, so good. So difficult to not have that in the top five. Number four is Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is Wolf. Yeah. Well, I think he gives his best film performance, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number three is Secretary. Number two, sorry, Secretary. Secretary. Which is a great film. Yeah. Uh, and number one is Music of Chance. Oh, of course, Music of Chance. And Wolf, and, it's, and, and, and I suppose with Wall Street, he is one of many of that kind of character, I suppose, like, kind of, because he's a lawyer in that, isn't Yeah, he? but, like, kind of, I think he, he, had, he had a great, when he graduated from being in uh, teen movies, mm-hmm. he had a really good period where he played a yuppie or white-collar worker on the rise. Yeah. Thrown into kind of corrupt sexual situation. Mm-hmm. And though other films aren't always the best films you've ever seen, He's very good in that role. Yeah. Uh, and Wall Street's a good example of it. Yeah. But White Palace, you know, really enjoy that. It's a good sort of May to December romance between him and uh, Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Sexy. It also. is. He's, in his best films, he is someone who is kinky and off and emotionally detached. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Secretary's a good example, but there's about five or six others that we haven't even mentioned, or you did Crash, mm-hmm. where that kind of... He's, he's not going to be happy with married vanilla sex. No. And do you know, I would never have picked it because I, I don't like the film, but his best perfor- possibly his best performance is Sex Lines and Videotape because he is, the character he kind of creates in that yeah. is such a, a believable character. Mm. It's just a shame it's a really boring film. I mean, if Hand on My Heart, if I wouldn't say what his best performance was, I don't think it's even in the top ten. Mm. It's a... Uh, He's really good in a smaller role in Steven Spielberg, Daniel Day Lewis's LinkedIn. Oh yeah. He's kind of a, a almost like a lobbyist. Yeah. For Lincoln, and he's uh, he's really good in that. Um, I think it's probably the only thing in the last twenty years that stretched him mm-hmm. as an actor. Whereas you know, yeah, his box office ability dwindled over the nineties to the point where you know he was never going to be the name by the title of something giving a big release anymore, which is a shame. Yeah. Because, yeah, you watch his earlier work and he's really good. But um, he's he's really good in smaller roles now. Uh, and mm-hmm. I kind of wish instead of being the star of an ongoing TV series, he was doing something more like 
appearing in Oscar-worthy films in that kind of... Like Michael Keaton does now. Yeah. Michael Keaton's great at turning up for two or three, two or three scenes in things like... In not very good films like Trial of Chicago 7. Yeah. And you, but you go, wow, Michael Keaton was great in that film. Yeah, I mean, there's still time, though. I mean, in, in mind when, when Blacklist finishes and... Um... One would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I wouldn't like his film career to end on the note of being a voice actor in one of those shitty Marvel films. <laughs> Again, alienating most of our listenership with your attitude on the Marvel films. Okay. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to get off your chest before we begin talking about Alien Hunter specifically? Um, no, I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise given what we've just talked about, but um, I probably would never have watched this film had it not been for the fact that James, or, or bought this film, I should say, had it not been for the fact that James Spade is in it. So you, you, you got this sent over from America? Yeah. It, you, uh, you paid a premium for it. It has, it's three films on one disc. Yeah, yeah. so basically there's a film called Storyville, um, which is a, uh, a kind of crime mystery directed by the, one of the creators of Twin Peaks, Mark Frost. Perfectly acceptable Spader vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love Twin Peaks, I love James Spader, and it's set in New Orleans, which I always enjoy yeah. seeing in films. So I've been looking for it everywhere, and it's one of these that you, could just, you can only get on Region 1. And then the other film on, on the, the triumvirate of films... Is The New Kids. Which was great. Yeah, we really enjoyed that. It was from Friday the 13th's director, not not big Friday the 13th fan personally, but this was much better. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a pair of kids moved to a Florida town and have to defend themselves from the high school bullies who are almost like straw dogs kind of uh, mm. home invaders. Uh, and James Spader leads the, the villains. Yeah. And what's the high point of that film? What's the high point of the film? Mm. When he's in his little blue pants. Yeah, he's sleeping in his cowboy boots <laughs> and his little blue pants. Yeah. And, yeah, he gets the tables turned on him at one point. Yeah, because yeah. it's weird because he is, he's meant to be like the leader of this bunch of rednecks who have like a dog on a chain and... Are just hicks but he still dresses like he's staff yeah, <laughs> Which, <probably>. yeah. <laughs> so interesting but yeah it's a really good film yeah um but the, you know, to just talk about the quality is what makes him really good because obviously i don't love him as much as you but he could take a role like uh steph in pretty in pink where he is essentially the yuppie villain that you know is suggesting that um the lead girl molly ringwald is not worth sleeping with or the attentions of mm. his posh friend and there's never a moment in it where you don't think a he wants to fuck her and b she wants to fuck him mm-hmm. <laughs> even though he's an absolute slime in it yeah yeah <laughs> well, my favorite bit is where he's um he looks at her at the end mm. in the, the dance when mm. she's you know yeah. she pairs off with the person she's she really shouldn't be with um and he knows he knows he's not worth yeah her um, and that's that's what makes him such a great character, and really the noblest of the three men who are after her in that film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of, the the really interesting when you watch Burke, I mean, because it had a reshot ending where they changed who she ends up with is the one character she shouldn't end up with, who's the sort of weak willed pretty boy. Mm. Um, there's so many more interesting characters in the film she should end up with that mm-hmm. are like kind of she could have a lovely lesbian relationship with Annie Potts's record oh, store yeah, yeah. or Ducky who you know. The she probably friends. should end up with. Yeah, but yeah. Who, who in the, in, in the uh, original script she does end up with. Or horrible villain, <laughs> very attractive Jane Spader. Yeah. Or, you know, just go home and be a daddy's girl with Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to tell people at home what the plot of Alien Hunter is? <laughs> yeah, because it, 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 it takes you on quite a, a merry dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, almost, before you start, 
I don't know how much of the plot you're going to go through, but it's almost like someone put uh, six sci-fi films on mm-hmm. and then just shuffled through them every every 20 minutes to a different sci-fi film. Yeah, I'm just going to explain kind of the premise. I'll take us to the halfway point and it will not give you an indication of what <laughs> the film is actually about. <laughs> um, yeah, so like many science fiction films, um, some mysterious object is found encased in ice in Antarctica. Um, and it's emitting this powerful signal that seems to be a communication of some kind. So uh, a cryptologist, played by James Bader, called Julian, is flown down from Berkeley to help decode the communication. He was previously involved in SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and he thinks the signal is alien. Uh, But he struggles to convince the other scientists at this Antarctic base, uh, one of whom is his ex-girlfriend, that it is an alien. Um, but it clearly becomes apparent that it is. Um, but unbeknownst to any of these scientists, the US government already knows about it, already knows it is alien because this signal is very similar to one that was at Roswell. Uh, and they've teamed up with the Russians to nuke the base before this pathogenic alien can get out and destroy the world. Cool. That's your first 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a lot of action during those moments? There, there is not. <laughs> There's a lot of phone calls and looking at uh, computer screens. Yeah. Um, all the facts and figures of them will crack on with our regular questions. Alien Hunter from 2003 is a TV movie mm-hmm. uh, released internationally on DVD. Uh, it's directed by Ronald Krauss, who, bless him, doesn't has made other things but no one's ever heard of mm-hmm. uh written by um j.s cardone again very similar kind of person yep he, he's worked but not not anything you'd ever be able to put your finger on and say oh yeah i've seen that before mm-hmm. um starring james spader leslie stefanson who is his wife his wife um janine escher john lynch amy graham who's heather graham's sister mm-hmm. Uh, Keir Duella from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and Carl Lewis. Do you know who Carl Lewis is? I think he played Gresham. Is that black guy? Yeah, do you know who he is? In no, the... I don't know. He, he he's, he's, a, he's a, a very famous uh, medal winning athlete oh. from 10 years before. Oh, there you go. There you go. He tried, tried his hand at acting after his athletic career ended. Do you make much else apart from this? E, no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not the only credit on his internet movie database, but no. Uh, I think we'll maybe talk about certain performances of the film later on. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was released in American TV on the 19th of July 2003. It's got an internet movie database score of 5.1 and a letterbox score of 2.4. Mm. Let's have a little break <laughs> and we'll talk about Alien Hunter in depth. Okay. Natalie, mm. what did you like about Alien Hunter? Um, well... I know we talked about how there's a lot of kind of exposition in the first half and not a lot of action, mm-hmm. but it does mean that if you were wanting to just pop something on and not really have to concentrate too much, you can you cannot listen for long periods of time and it still gets explained to you. Yeah. Now, we were listening, so I did feel like it was getting explained a lot, but I do appreciate something that you can just take a sort of a step back and just kind of relax and watch and let the information wash over you a few times before it sinks in yeah i mean it's not the most original film in the world uh it it's basically a mega mix of lots of better movies you've already seen and you know not even obscure ones it's got 
the opening of the thing, mm-hmm. a little bit of contact in there for mm-hmm. the mix, some of the Andromeda strain as it goes along, yeah. and then, you know, obviously a little bit of Aliens are yeah. going to be in there as well, um, and then the ending's a bit close encounters. Yeah. Uh, does it meld all these things together well? You're never lost following the plot. No, but as with all these things, whenever you get reminded of another better film, you're just wondering yeah. why you're not watching that film instead. Yeah, I think it'd be fair to say in any of its kind of 20 or 30 minute kind of sojourns into better films as plots, mm. it never does anything interesting or exciting with, you know, them. No, but I will say in its defence that um, I didn't see where it was going and the ending did surprise me. And I quite like the ending. I thought it was an interesting way to go. It yeah. was unexpected. Well, yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, no, I, when, when they opened the kind of... Uh, the bunker doors and the alien ships glowing outside. Yeah. I, I guess I, I wasn't expecting that to be how they were going to end things. But, mm-hmm. you know, equally, I would have expected a little bit more action at some point. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, it, it took that different approach. Of when, when normally you have this kind of film, whether it is like aliens or a natural disaster or, I don't know, being out in space or whatever, the group are trying to save themselves. Mm-hmm. Or they're trying to... Well, I mean, I suppose they are trying to save the Earth in this one. Um, so there is a lot of action because they're rushing around fixing things or fighting things or whatever. I, Whereas I with this, yeah. it's more like the larger number of them are taking the moral standpoint of we shouldn't leave this base, we should just allow ourselves to die because if we go outside, we are infected with this this pathogen that means that you don't know what will happen. Yeah. There's a good chance we could destroy the human race by leaving well, everything going by you know even affects corn yeah exactly <laughs> um but so the, the whole thing is that they are trying to stop the one or two members of that group who selfishly want to mm. leave and save themselves even though they have you know no idea of what might happen to the rest of humanity so it is more kind of muted in that way yeah i would agree but if it got there quicker to the point where Everyone knows they're doomed and eventually they're going to be killed off by a Russian nuclear mm. missile. Uh, and it's some of them want to wait and then do the right thing and not infect the rest of humanity and some of them want to escape. And from there, the drama and the action emerge. That would be great. But that really only comes to head in the last 20 minutes. And there's a little chase, but you wouldn't say it takes up a lot of the running time when they do anything particularly exciting with it. Um that to me is actually quite a good premise for a film but we get there far too late in the film for mm. it to be particularly well developed and even if you're going to say well some of the characters do this and some of the characters that none of the characters are particularly well developed that you care who lives and who dies who goes one way and who goes the other no i suppose not but i do think that that chase at the end is is good and well done and it's tense and at the end of it with when you know so basically james spader is running after the guy who just wants to leave. Um, and he's, he's, he's going up these stairs to go out of the base. And he throws open the door and James Spader doesn't quite make it in time to catch him. What happens immediately after that is a surprise. So yeah. you've, got a, you've got a good chase scene, you've got a tension, and then you've got, oh, okay, so that's, that's where you're going to go with it. Um, and it doesn't have a happy ending. It doesn't mm. have a kind of neat little resolution. And... But what it does have is, I don't know, a kind of a, a nice little surprise. Yeah, well, so after 75 minutes of things you've seen done better in a sci-fi film, 
there is a little bit of action. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, I, what I liked um, about the the kind of the countdown as it's sort of getting closer and closer to the launch of the nuclear missiles is the the stress <laughs> that the Russian uh, naval submariners are under because they've basically been given the orders to fire these uh, nuclear weapons with no kind of context. So they don't know why they're doing it. They're pondering mm. whether it's like a, an exercise or whatever. But can you, I mean, you can imagine what it must be like in that situation where... You might be starting World War Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't know. They've got no idea. So they're all sort of sweating and taking the hats off and mm. putting them back on again. And, and It must come really as a genuine surprise to your Russian submarine crew that in like the middle of the noughties, you're being asked to fire a nuclear missile. It was 1986, you go, well, this is it. Mm. this is it yeah the doomsday clock was at like twelve fifty nine anyway so i understand what's going on yeah but like kind of when you're going uh when i get off the boat i want to go watch alien versus predator at the cinemas mm-hmm. and drink a nice vodka yeah yeah then it would be a surprise i like the fact that it's clearly uh got to the point where the american and russian governments are get on so well that the russians are quite happy <laughs> to um fire nuclear nuclear missiles at the behest of the Americans. It's, cool. It's true. Better, better times for a little bit. <laughs> what else did you like? What else did I like? Um, There's more. I quite like the alien. So you don't right. really see a lot of the alien. Yeah, there might be a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah, go on, carry on. All Before, right. So then I'll correct well, you. <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose it's difficult with these films where you want to kind of create an alien that looks unique but still looks like an alien and this one kind of changes quite a bit because when they first crack open its little shell um it's like a like a slug yeah and it's all slimy and stuff but then by the time uh james spader actually comes face to face with the alien it is like the size and shape of a man and it has opposable thumbs um bit weird but well you know when you actually see the alien it's 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 a proper alien it's not a cgi and he's got nice eyes um, a nice shiny skin. Yeah. And he's li- I like his little claws. Mm. He's cute. Uh, I'm going to correct you now. Uh, oh. They didn't create an alien. They didn't create an they alien. They borrowed an alien. It is exactly the same alien from the film Independence Day. Oh, is they it? Reused, they oh, but re- that makes sense yeah. as well because I guess maybe, you know... The puppet or whatever it, it is. It is the same alien. <laughs> oh, you think, you think this is an Independence Day adjacent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same, same universe? Yeah. Okay, okay. They, these ones seem a little bit more peace-loving. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, they've they have wiped out the entire Martian population, mm. but only fifty years ago, it would seem. <laughs> so, um, for some reason, we didn't know there were people on Mars. No, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> um, and then we would never know because these aliens accidentally wiped them all out. Yeah. Anything else you like? Um. I like James Spader. Yeah, yeah, I thought that might be the case. But do you think this is one of his better roles? He's a lot more believable at the beginning where he is um, a, a beloved sexy lecturer who's knocking off one of the students. It gets the Indiana Jones Raiders of Lost Ark introduction of giving, giving us a little bit of context about what he's about as a scientist. Yeah. And having a little quiet flirt with one of the... Uh, one of the uh, enamoured students yeah <laughs> but instead of writing love you on her eyelids to blink it in a bit more she sends him an email don't she yeah or a DM a dirty email yeah, yeah. <laughs> sex <laughs> <laughs> um, that subject matter sex <laughs> but I mean he doesn't really he, he 
even though he has to adopt an action persona later on in the film, he's still, you know, a scientist all the way through. He's still kind of like, like a cute, nerdy... You know, he wears his parker yeah. constantly. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I really struggled with watching the film. Uh, once they get to the underground Arctic bunker, mm. some people are wearing bikinis like it's a Bond villain's lair with its own private field and, you know, and some people are wearing, like, four layers. <laughs> yeah, so... Is it heated or is it not heated? They're growing hydrophonic crops <laughs> um, in this base. It's one of the many experiments these scientists are doing. And the lady explains that because she has to go through the antibacterial shower every time she goes in and out of the cornfield... Um, she prefers to do it nude, but she'd been told not to do it nude because it's inappropriate, so she wears a bathing costume. That doesn't explain why when she knocks on James Spader's door to wake him up in the morning, she's wearing that bathing costume. I, I think you know the reason why when she knocks on James Spader's door in the morning, she's wearing a bathing costume. Yeah, because she wants it. She wants, yeah, she's pretty much thrown it at him. Yeah. But then she's got all this exposition about their, their artificial corn lab to give. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And that would have been fine. If anything, if they'd made him like a kind of a Captain Kirk character and he could have got tips off um, William Shatner mm. from Boston Legal on how to play that. Yeah. Because he's not that far away. Um, <laughs> and he turns up in this base with like these four sex-starved women. Yeah. Though, I mean, Carl Lewis, I'm sure, is doing pretty well for himself in the base as well. Right, so he does play it a bit campy. Yeah, well, the, the, Carl Lewis obviously has been cast because his name must have some kind of value. Mm. to the people making it and you know he the wants, people who watch sport yeah exactly they're hoping to kind of cross over with that market but but let's be honest he's not the best actor in the world no. and for someone who's physically impressive mm-hmm. his voice is very very high pitched a bit like um Frederick Tatum in the Simpsons <laughs> it's, it doesn't it, it's very if his character came out as gay I wouldn't be surprised but I, it's just his natural voice isn't oh. particularly traditionally manly yeah it's a bit camp it's a bit high-pitched yeah which maybe suggests he shouldn't be playing the role he he is he's one of two bad performances in the film is what i'd say oh who's the other one uh john lynch the the irish guy oh no he's he's operating on a completely different level from everyone else but the appropriate level (laughs) if you were trapped in a base with an alien and everyone like half the people you work with have just melted I'd be quite stressed. Yeah, he's like that before the film. Before the film starts going to uh, dangerous levels, he's like, if if James Spader is calm, he is manic. If James Spader believes in something, he is aggressively doubtful. <laughs> I think maybe everyone else could do with stepping up a little bit in terms of their um, reactions and their their passions in this. So yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is if. We'd opened an alien pod and we knew it was dangerous just as we were about to open it and regret doing it. And there's an explosion and then suddenly people start rotting. I don't think I'd still be standing there pointing my torch around the same room at everyone else to make sure they're not rotting. Mm. I think at that point I might be getting out of the room away from the alien pod. Because if it is airborne, you know, there's still always a chance that you might be be able to get to safety. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. What didn't you like about Alien Hunter? Well, it, it sort of leads on neatly from that. Um, and it bugs me in any film like this. And I, believe me, I am no scientist. I don't understand about yeah. the science. But what I, what annoys me is when you have scientist characters who behave even, even less scientifically than I would yeah. in these situations. So um, I know it doesn't make for a, an exciting film, but 
you know, we know that scientists are very cautious and they like to test things and probe before they do anything. You wouldn't go bashing and cracking open an alien yeah. shell without doing a few experiments. Just stick a bit of litmus paper through it or something. Yeah, I... Um... It's, it's, it's definitely a trope of your B-movie sci-fi from whether it be the 1950s or the one day. A lot of people slag off Prometheus, the alien prequel, mm. because the scientists don't behave particularly scientifically when they mm. become engaged with the ancient alien kind of matter. Mm. And I'm along the lines of, I think you'd really struggle to find any sci-fi film, whether it be The Fly mm. or this or Independence Day or whatever, that show scientists behaving like they would in real life. The only one that there is is the Andromeda strain where Michael Crichton wrote a book of how would scientists actually deal with an alien virus right. if, if they captured it. And it's it's yeah, it's quite a dry procedural film yeah. because of that. It's not a very exciting film. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, and I, I don't mind. I'd rather have a fun, enjoyable film than it being completely sticking to reality. But... If you're going to touch something that's from outer space, just put a pair of gloves on. And you're right. You're absolutely right. But there's very, very few sci-fi films where that happens. So it feels unfair to call out a really good one like Prometheus or a really bad one like Alien (laughs) out for it because it's just a trope of sci-fi genre that scientists do stupid fucking shit when they come into contact with alien shit. I suppose they get very excited, don't they? Um, but I suppose, but I mean, look at Alien. It all goes wrong because somebody makes a moral decision that they don't want to leave well, their no, bodies no, outside. You're wrong. You're wrong about that. Why? Because Ash is a goddamn robot programmed by the company, and he's the one who opens up the airlock. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. The Dallas uh, Tom Skerritt's um, on the other side of the airlock. He wants to come in. Yeah. Yeah. But so he 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 is asking for the airlock to be opened, but oh. but it is a. Uh, Mother and Ash, who decide they want this on board to see what happens. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. That's that's a completely different thing. That's your... uh... But they they do make the decision to go out of the ship because they hear a distress signal. Yeah. And they want to help people. Though they don't all want to help people. Some of them just want to get bonuses. But that is is part of their um, space code, space Mm. law. But if you hear a distress signal, you do have to go investigate it. Yeah. But, you know, first you probably need to discuss the bonus situation. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But no one makes any terribly you know, outlandish decisions. No, but none of them are scientists. I mean, Ash is medical officer of the ship, but none of them are. None of their jobs are, are scientists. I would have made John Hurt in his own room. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 would have yeah I think I completely agree with that. I probably would have kept John Hurt in some kind of isolation until he got back to work. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Fair enough. Anything else you disliked? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't shock me that it's a TV film. I thought possibly it was um, it was made for video, but yeah. um, but to me, a lot of the times when I was watching it, it felt very much like like a TV episode, and of the time as well. Lots of those things that you see in in things from that time, like um, speeded up camera, yeah. where you see lots of things, and um, and you know the the special effects when they weren't borrowing aliens from films. Um, were pretty ropey, um, and it all looked it all looked quite cheap. Yeah, I mean, I kind of it looked better than maybe a lot of TV episodes of its era looked, but it has a kind of X Files feel to the whole thing. Yeah, and, and that's but, what I was reminded of. We're talking about the X Files 
when we first started watching it in the mid-90s, not the X-Files as it ended up in the, mm. at the time this was being made. So it, it feels about seven years out there. And you're right, the other James Spader sci-fi film I was trying to think of was Supernova. And that has mm. a lot of shots going into screens excitedly and uh, yeah. shaky kind of edits and uh, those kind of sweeping pans of the camera, but it kind of jitters. Yes. Yeah. And so there's a lot of that and it feels very much like a just turn of the millennium kind of yeah. stylistic tick that looks bad then and looks really dated now. Yeah, I, I, I don't care for it. Um, I kept, it kept making me think of Alias. Mm. And I think it can only be because of the style yeah, rather than any yeah. content of it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not something that I miss. <clears throat> I, I would definitely say it's of its time of the, the less inspired, cheaper end of things. Um, but what I would say is I, I felt certain parts of it were relatively competently made. There were production values that were good. The CGI to begin with wasn't bad for a low-budget production, but then when it's when they used it to do the deterioration of the bodies, mm. again, that should be done practically. Um, some, of the, um, some of the later effects are nowhere near as good as some of the earlier effects. Yeah. But um, I guess at that point, you know, if you've watched half an hour of it, you're not turning off. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, the, the bright lights at the end are pretty, hmm. but when you're dazzling the screen, hmm. yeah. you can't really see anything anyway. So, um, you know, there's not, there's not much to its credit in those bits. Um, but I, I like the alien and I like the shell. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't, spe- they weren't yeah. kind of computer generated. It's a film that not just recycles a lot of its plot, but their stock footage of submarines and Berkeley College yeah. and uh, I think even the when they find the alien they're showing the old footage of the alien uh, ice block being unearthed that's from the thing yeah <laughs> uh, they did the, the original one yeah. So, yeah they also do this weird thing of like every time they go back to the um politicians mm. they do an establishing shot with the White House mm. and it's like after the first time you know yeah. where they are. <laughs> we don't need to know. We don't need to be reminded every single time that these are the politicians. It felt like a film that had a lot of filler in it. Like um, I read in the trivia the opening sequence where someone in nineteen forty seven mm. overhears an alien signal when Roswell, the Roswell crash happens, which is led yeah. into. Um, that was shot much later. That was added okay. onto the film, and so then knowing that. During the middle part of the film, I was wondering, is all the Washington scenes of politicians talking, which don't have a massive amount of relation to what's going on in the James Spader part mm. of the action, have they been added later on to, to turn what could be a pilot episode of a TV show mm. into a feature-length film? And then I you know, eventually realised, no, because you know, it does tie into what eventually... Mm-hmm. So if anything, it is setting up the eventual conclusion of the film, which just doesn't feel organic while it's happening... But when you get to the end of the film, it all does kind of make sense of why certain scenes are in there. Uh, I I, I really, to to kind of sum up how I feel about the film, I didn't think it was a very good film. I didn't think it was very entertaining. I didn't think it delivered. But I I did think there was a certain degree of competence to it. Um, But it's it's one of the worst films in terms of entertainment and originality we've watched, even if it doesn't really do anything wrong in terms of its production. I think if you're interested in aliens, um, which I'm not particularly, the fact that it's kind of developing the Roswell myth, because Mm. the ending completely ties in with the beginning. It gives Mm. an explanation for Roswell, it gives an explanation for... At the beginning, this guy looks up and you don't see what he's seeing. At the end, we see it, Mm. you know. Um, But I do think America needs to kind of learn that no one outside of America gives a shit about Roswell. Mm. Like, it's not... No one cares. 
Um, so maybe somebody who, who does care a bit more, like an American audience who cares about this and believes in aliens or l- likes that kind of thing, would get something out of this film that yeah. someone like me or you just couldn't hmm. because I, we don't care. Again, this is the tail end of the, uh, the kind of paranoid 90s alien quiet invasion kind of a you had like kind of a communion and fire in the sky and contact mm. come out in cinemas the x-files been on for nine years at this point and it's finishing up really mm-hmm. uh, roswell's been on for a couple of years by this mm. point as well um this feels very much the tail end of uh its cycle mm-hmm. if you see what i mean um and i don't think it really brings anything anything new to the table or even has fun with the tropes and for that reason, and yeah, let's be honest, it's not James Spader's most exciting performance in the world. No. So it doesn't really do anything apart from fill up a TV schedule. I think if I rented this on DVD or video, mm. I'd be very disappointed. I never bought it now, but... Well, yeah, but we, like like mm. I said earlier on, I never would have bought this and never would have watched it had yeah. it not been for the fact that... It's a box set. It's in a James Spader yeah. box set, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. Let's have a little break and we'll go for our regular questions. Okay. Regular questions. Yeah. Who was the Michael Parks of the film when everyone else was collecting a paycheck who put in full effort and really stole the show? We're definitely going to disagree on this. Okay. I thought the Irish guy, for me, just he had the right amount of energy for a film that is meant to be a bit more active. Okay. Um, and, you know... He delivered a bit of... I don't know, it's, it's like his performance was interesting. I disagree with you. I think he's the worst performance. I've seen him do well in other films. He's in Sliding Doors as well. Oh, right. Uh, but, yeah, he, he wasn't... He wasn't... He didn't gel with the other actors to me. Uh, it, it, yeah, but he, he was abrasive. That's what he was meant to well, be. He yeah, was meant to be... Uh, Beyond that, I think, I think it was a, a, a one-note bad performance from oh. someone who probably could do a bit better than Sorry, John Lynch, if you're listening. Uh, I would have gone for Leslie Stefanson. Oh, you're kidding. I, I thought she did her role of like kind of a young, attractive girl who was interested in James Spader really well. And I was a little bit disappointed when she gets killed off quite early on. She's not that young. She's in her 30s. Oh, right. But she looked good. Mm. Um... <laughs> I mean, there's, there's four hotties on that... Uh, in, on that underground yeah. bunker and James Spader sleeps with none of them. I know we're going to discuss yeah. that in a later question. But... Did you make the weird, a weird decision... Um... To bump her character off because she is kind of set up as a romantic interest, even though he's dated one of the other women previously. Mm. Um, she's she's a bit rubbish, but you know he does have a rapport with Nyla. I think she's called. Yeah, the character. that's that's a, that's a character. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they did that to make it more of a surprise when she. Yeah, dies I, I agree with that. Long. Yeah, it, it's a surprise when you think, oh, that's that's who's going to end up with, but yeah. You know, but it doesn't really explore anything else again later on in the film, whether romantically or, mm. yeah, it just kind of runs its rail very un- with very little inspiration. Yeah. Um, it, I don't think she was of the standard of people we usually give, oh no, they really stood out as someone who did well. Well, no. But I certainly wouldn't say it. John Lynch is, <laughs> he put, like I say, I think he's, after Carl Lewis, one of the worst performances of the film. Oh, well, I enjoyed his performance. Okay, any product placement who get this on cat? He fulfills a very important role of, of being the villain of the piece because the alien is not the villain, villain of the piece and neither are the governments mm. who are, even though they're trying to nuke them. Um, he is, you know, loose cannon. He is the one who's kind of leading the other guy astray and trying to get out and doesn't mm. care about anything. And, you know, he plays a dick very well. 
Mm. Yeah, but it doesn't do it in a very believable way, is what I would say. Well, you find yourself in that situation when you're trapped inside an Antarctic base with a dead alien <laughs> with the Russians bearing down on you, and you see how you would react. Well, you know, I would probably react like a character in the thing and go, you've got to be fucking kidding me. No, you'd like to think you would react like a character in the thing. <laughs> right. Product placement, who kicked in some cash to have their wares on show. I don't know if anyone paid, no. but like Sony, there, there were Sony products, there was, there was ketchup, Heinz ketchup, but mm. I would always notice Heinz ketchup in something. It was distributed by Columbia, which is just Sony owned. Oh, okay. But they, might, seems, they might have just got the stuff for free. Yeah. It seems weird that their, their alarm clocks would be Sony based. Yeah. <laughs> we really want to push on to alarm clock line. Mm. <laughs> um, if there was one change you could make to Alien Hunter to improve it, what would it be? I think I would um, just make more of that second act after the alien gets out. I mean, even though I know he turns out to be a goodie, so you can't really... You don't want him, like, intentionally killing a bunch of people. You, you want that tension. You want the kind of creeping around the base in the dark... And the alien could be around any corner. And that happens for like three minutes. Yeah. And everyone's, you know, they pair off like they do an alien. Mm. But the, there's none of the kind of banter or yeah. or, or threat or whatever. Um, so, I I mean, I would like it as more of a horror. But that's very much my personal taste. I don't like films about aliens. But the ones I do like are the ones where it goes down a horror route. And this very much wasn't that, so it, it would be a very big change to make it up. It was, it was suggesting for at least an hour it was going to be a horror movie. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I don't... I don't uh, it, it's the kind of thing that I couldn't really offer improvement on because uh, there's, there's just too much wrong with it or that's just put no effort into that you can't really kind of turn around and go, well, that one thing would turn things around. Yeah. Um, usually I ask you where would you cast James Spader in this film but James Spader is, is front and centre yeah. so I'm going to ask you who would you replace so that James Spader doesn't have to be in something quite so awful okay so maybe this will tie in a bit more with my answer to the previous question about who the Michael Parks was I would have someone with, with just a little bit more energy mm. and I would go for Nicolas Cage wow yeah because mm. you know you could believe he's a scientist yeah and um and if he he was there and he was like the kind of the the moral one who was trying to get people back, believe that. Um, and you know it would make for a big better showdown when it turns into a thing where it's human versus human. Yeah, I mean, I I think that is a good call in terms of he would certainly inject an energy into the film that isn't there in the script. Yes, uh, I would probably just go for someone who's just a little bit more of a safe pair of hands when it comes to television. So a Scott Bakula or a David Hasselhoff. Uh, yeah, but that's the same. That's, you can have the same problem again because he's a mild man. <laughs> David, there's nothing mild about David. He's mild. No, he's no, mild mannered. Right, well, like I say, someone who could you know kind of bring their own swagger to it as a film. Yeah, well, I think if 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 someone is standing in between me and the destruction of the world by aliens, I want a nutter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, a newer question, but one that I think is very important. Oh, yeah. Should there have been a sex scene? And yeah. if so, who should it have been between? Oh, my God. Right. So it's unbelievable that there isn't a sex scene in this because you've got James Spader. At least three are set up during... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's mentioned from the very beginning that he's a player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they even, meant, they even like 
joke when he arrives at the base, oh, you know, we've been warned about you. Yeah. Um, and then he's, he's offered it on a plate by Leslie Stephenson's character. Yeah. His ex-girlfriend's there as well. The other two women are giving him hungry eyes constantly. Yeah. It's, it's just unbelievable. And it's cold. There's he's nothing little, else to do. There's no telly. He's got a little itty bitty waiting for him back at Berkeley, hasn't he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it should, I can't believe there's no sex scene in this. It is, it's madness. The swearing doesn't need to be in it. Yeah. Yeah, it could quite easily be a PG film without the swearing. Well, yeah, because it's, it's an R because of the swearing and the violence. Yeah. So you could, you could throw anything in there. Mm, yeah, it does seem a, a shame that there's not at least like kind of even even it doesn't show any real nudity. Yeah. There's not a bit of uh, hot and heavy in it. I want to see that spade tattoo. That's what I signed <laughs> up for. Okay, which leads us to our last question about Alien. Uh, uh, is oh, it worse yeah. or better than Bad Boys? Um, I never will watch it again. <laughs> um, so uh, it is with a very heavy heart that I. But he's got so much more good stuff in his back catalogue. So it, I don't. I think he can take this one hit. But no, it's worse than Bad Boys. Yeah, it's probably the worst James Spader film I've seen. It annoys me that this has. The same, if not higher, ratings of then things like Star Trek, uh, The Final Frontier, or Terminator Genesis, mm. which are, yeah, maybe not the best examples of their franchise, yeah. but certainly are nowhere near as incompetent as this, and yet this has got a 2.4 on Letterboxd. Uh, this, this is a bad film. They're, you know, it's not a terrible, terrible film, but you know, it's it's cobbled together from stock footage and other films' props and ideas and plot lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no one gives it any kind of inspired effort no. as it goes along. Uh, and, you know, for every decision it makes as it goes along as a film, very few of them are, will this be entertaining if we did this? <laughs> are people I'm going to enjoy this? It just kind of literally plods along until it hits 90 minutes and then it finishes. Yeah. Uh, and to say that for their faults and charms and things that the fan base don't like that things like Terminator 5 or Star Trek 5 have as problems are that no one near as bad as what's going on here but it's the whole problem with this system of rating people aren't voting rationally Mm. when they're selecting their little rating on Letterboxd or whatever they do Um, whereas you know for this people probably have actually given their honest opinion on it that it's not it's not very good and then that's how it's got the rating it is whereas with those others that you've mentioned it's just people being reactionary yeah very much so yeah it's got to be one out of ten because it's not as good as the terminator which is one of the greatest films ever made exactly uh so there we go would you like to know what we're watching next episode darling yeah it's not another james fader no i've got an erotic thriller for you Ooh, qu'est-ce que c'est halle berry bruce willis Perfect Stranger. I don't know this film. Well, we are going to watch it, and then you can watch it. But <laughs> well, it sounds good. <laughs> I, I think Bruce Willis is the date from hell. Okay. Yeah, I think. I, I've not seen it either. It's come as part of, again, a box set of you know, DVDs. So, right. Um, and it'll be our, both our first time watching it, but it's kind of our wheelhouse. It does, yeah. Yeah. I've so, got high hopes. And, you know, Bruce Willis has got a couple of bad but enjoyable erotic thrillers in his back catalogue. Mm. He's got The Colour of Night. Have you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, the Sinner from Pinner, Jane March, is uh, one of his uh, patients. He's a psychoanalyst. Mm. And uh, someone's killing off his group, which is called Scott Bakula. And he starts sleeping with Prime Suspect, number one. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. Mm. Occasionally, Bruce Willis seems to, like, kind of to get his butt out. I'm sure it's a very nice book. Well, we will see it with Halle Berry in Perfect Stranger (laughs) next episode.
Thank you for listening. Thank you very much.